We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Get the Is Charged podcast. We are officially two weeks out from the 2022 NFL Draft. Really excited today. We have our final positional rankings. Of course, my name is Steven, and I am your host. Really excited to break all things related to the cornerback position down with my guys, Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. We are finally almost here, but we are done after this with all of our position rankings. I can't wait to have a life. I'm sure my fiance's really missed me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was uh, talking with Brooke yesterday. We were hanging out at the dog park, and I was like, oh, are you excited to watch the draft? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, why not? I'm like, you like football? You like the draft? And she's like, Steven, you're not going to be here. And my life doesn't revolve around the football team named the Los Angeles Chargers. And I was like, that's a fair, that's a fair <laughs> comment. <laughs> Alex, how you doing, man? I'm um, doing good. Doing good. All right. So, uh, like I said, we are going to uh, talk about the cornerback position today. Uh, this is our final positional rankings. We waited as long as we possibly could for uh, this position because this is absolutely the position you most need all 22 film to uh, properly rank. And so uh, we were able to finally do that and uh, really excited to hear about this. And uh, for those who missed it, I did do a poll today. We'll, we'll talk about that poll in terms of Derek Stingley versus Sauce Gardner. Really excited to see how that one shakes out on the show. That being said, we have to start with uh, the Michael Davis conversation. Um, of course, Alex did do a video earlier this week about the Michael Davis conversation and really kind of where things stand there. 
um, you know, kind of stemming from Daniel Popper's comments on the NFL Stock Exchange podcast with Trevor Sikama and Connor Rogers. And, you know, while he was on that show, he said that the Chargers uh, possibly not super high on Michael Davis anymore, that they could be uh, looking to replace him. And, and to me, those comments uh, meant in the starting lineup, not necessarily that they are like completely looking to replace him. But uh, Alex, I'll kind of start with you here. What did you make of uh, Daniel's Popper, Daniel Popper's comments about Michael Davis? Um, I mean, really, it was kind of everything we were saying for a while. I mean, we looked at that contract quite a few times and you're like, oh, you can save seven point four million. And then they signed JC Jackson and suddenly Michael Davis is CB2, probably really CB3, like Daniel Popper said in his comments, if you're putting Asante Samuel Jr. over him uh, on the depth chart as well. And if you are talking about the amount of picks that the Chargers are have, it's you know not unlikely that they come away with two cornerbacks or a cornerback and a safety. And if they do take another corner, whether that's one of the first round guys or someone later, that pushes Michael Davis further down the depth chart, kind of like Daniel Popper indicated. So I don't think we were really saying anything groundbreaking. And I feel like a lot of people were interpreting my video as me saying Michael Davis sucks. It's like, that's not what I said. But, um, you know, I think Michael Davis is a good player. He excelled more in 2020 than he did in 2021 under the Staley scheme. Um, But he is kind of built more for that previous cover three uh, style than he was this new scheme. So, you know, could he improve in 2021? Absolutely. You know, with more time and system. Um, but I just think it's a question mark of what, you know, does Staley see a path forward to him being a reliable CB2 for this team, um, you know, with his struggles and kind of adapting to coverages uh, and, and the, sort of the way he's built as well. He's just been more of a boundary corner who's not built to really move all over the field especially kind of how lanky he is at times so i think that's really where the conversation starts and um if you know the reality is if they do take a first round corner like some of the guys will talk about in this episode whether that's andrew booth or Derek stingley or someone else um you know then that probably means michael davis is on the way out for sure and i think the fact that they can save 7.4 million even if you take a cornerback in the later rounds now you have J.C. Jackson for 16 million a year, uh, and you have two guys on rookie contracts that you're taking advantage of, regardless of which round you're taking a corner in, uh, in Asante Samuel Jr. and presumptive 2022 draft cornerback. So uh, that, to me, leads to a, a picture that it has Michael Davis out of it for the most part in 2023. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, well, obviously, we'll see how the season goes, but I think they're going to start preparing for life after the Chargers, it was a weird season for Davis because he gets the deal, he starts well, looks good, you know, gets a nice little interview piece from Haley Elwood and everybody. And then he was benched against the Ravens for, you know, Tavon Campbell. And we're like, what, what happened? What did you do? Yeah. And then they just kind of, you know, got hurt, COVID, and, and never really rebounded. And then Staley at the Combine says, we think Michael Davis is a starter. I figured, okay. You know, we, all, we all kind of figured starter, but second starter, not the, not the true number one. And then they go get JC Jackson. And now Daniel Popper saying, well, they're really out on Michael Davis. He's not even really like a CB2 to them. It could be Asante Samuel Jr. more on the outside. So I think they're going to prepare for life without him. I don't buy that they're taking a corner at 17, barring some sort of incredible fall. But I do think they are going to start preparing for life without him. And they've made it pretty clear based on roster construction, unless they really like Kimon Hall or Tavon Campbell, which I don't think they do. I think they've set themselves up to take a day three corner, maybe even around three corner and start preparing for a life after Michael Davis. 
Yeah, you know, this is a really nice change of pace in terms of, you know, the cornerback position from uh, the, the previous regime where it was like, oh, well, we'll just give, you know, mid-level free agents and undrafted free agents to, you know, Ron Miles. They don't necessarily value the cornerback position in, the, in that way. And now, you know, Brandon Staley said a few times throughout the season, like, we consider ourselves a defensive back factory. And then at the combine, it's, you know, we are always going to be looking for corners in this scheme. And I think, you know, this is his way of being able to do that. So, you know, I think there is still value for Michael Davis in this role. I think he still could be playing some good ball. And if he is able to stay healthy, not get COVID next year, like that's a huge thing. And, um, you know, we saw glimpses of his, you know, previous high play, you know, when he's able to go up against Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller and, you know, things like that and be able to play really well against bigger competition. I think Brandon Staley also has to kind of figure out, like, how does Michael Davis fit in this scheme? So we're none of us are really saying, like, hey, Michael Davis sucks. Like, he's not a good player. Like, I think we're all on board with him being a good player and much better than, like, what they have behind him. But I don't think his presence there is going to stop Brandon Staley from getting an upgrade by any means if there is one available to him. Because, I mean, if you can have Michael Davis at your CB4, like that's a great cornerback room. Like you're sitting really pretty at that point, <laughs> not dealing with Tavon Campbell and Kimon Hall and Trey Marshall and, you know, uh, Devontae Harris and all these like special teamers that you're signing. So, um, you know, Brandon City is going to remake this. And I think Michael Davis could certainly still have a role there. Um, but if Brandon Staley can get an upgrade, he's going to get an upgrade. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, he said it so many times this offseason. Get your head around, turn around at the right time, yeah. knock the football down. And Davis just didn't do that last year. Did the year before. So hopefully, I don't want to say it was all because of Ron Miles, but Ron Miles was a really good defensive backs coach. And in that final year with Davis, he had his best year. That's what got him paid. And he was turning around, making plays in the football, reading the football, picking off Tom Brady. And just didn't do that as much last year. So hopefully, he can just rebound. Now he kind of knows what's asked of him. All the pressure is not as much on him this year. So I think he'll rebound again, yeah. even though I do think they are going to move on from him because I don't think that Staley really liked his development last year. I still believe in him to turn it around this year to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, see the, the, the thing about him being CB four is like, that's fine. But also then you're paying 7 million for a CB four um, or next year with the cap hit of 9.4 million potentially. Right. So I, I think that's kind of the issue long-term with this is just, sure. I, I think there will be a team where it's like that would want to pay Michael Davis to be in their cover three scheme, you know, maybe as probably not a CB one, but as a CB two. Um, and I, I think the value at that point would just kind of get too high for the chargers. Um, especially considering the contracts next year. And like Tyler pointed out, I, I think Brandon Staley, especially with the signing of JC Jackson, is very clearly looking for guys who, you know, can create interceptions and create their own opportunities. And while Michael Davis is fine in coverage, uh, you know, I think he was largely good this year. He's never really been an interception machine, um, or right. at least not in, you know, when we think of like the prime of Casey Hayward, uh, you know, what he was in, you know, his best years with the chargers like michael davis was never really that um you know his one interception last year is jamar chase bobbling a football backwards somehow um yeah. which <laughs> is one of the funnier plays i've seen but even in the last uh two years prior to this one i think he had five combined interceptions uh in 2019 and 2020 prior to 2021 so i think that you know uh, you know aside from scheme fit and learning all of these coverages 
I think it's just more the fact that Michael Davis's game is a little bit more conservative, whereas Brandon Staley clearly wants more aggressive, more versatile, you know, quarterback play. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, Alex. And, you know, by by no means do I think that, you know, cornerback is going to be the priority at 17. I, you know, I think Brandon Staley believes that this team can take the best player available and then kind of figure it out later. And if that player happens to be a cornerback, then I think Brandon Staley will do that and move Michael Davis down the depth, down the depth chart. But I think what is more likely is that, like Tyler was saying, that this is a third-round pick, fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick kind of player, and then, you know, kind of be – um, proactive in, in terms of looking for your replacement for Michael Davis. So um, really interesting stuff there. I will say really quickly, um, had a question from Chorizo Compapas about who's starting opposite of JC. I said after the JC Jackson signing, I think it's JC and Asante Sammy Jr. starting outside in base packages. And then Michael Davis comes on the field in, um, in nickel packages. And then Asante moves into the slot. So, I think Asante does have that leg up as a starter. I mean, he's obviously got to stay healthy. He's obviously got to, you know, avoid the concussions. But I think that they they are really committed to Asante. They really like Asante, and rightfully so, man. Like we didn't really get to see him at his you know best this past season, but we all really loved him coming out of the draft. So um, I, I think Michael Davis is kind of CB three, and you know Asante will start opposite of JC in base packages. But Michael Davis still going to have a role. Uh, unless, like I said, like they draft a corner at 17. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a battle. I think that one is a true competition unless there really is just is favoritism for the guy that's daily drafted, which I could understand. And Asante Samuel Jr. would certainly deserve to start. I'm a little curious if Staley has any preference for one guy being more size, one guy being a little bit more that that JC Jackson type, who's not exactly the tallest, yeah. but more of a you know interception sort of guy. So I guess it might depend on what he prefers out there. But I do think Asante Samuel Jr. has the edge for now. Yeah, and his, the, the physical profile thing is a little interesting because I think there could be a certain you know scenario where Trent McDuffie is the best player on the board at 17. And, and we will get to hit you know our thoughts on him in a second here. But you know, then you have three starting corners who are all under 5'10. Like, is that an issue for Brandon Staley? Is that something that he doesn't really care about? I mean, because he always had Jalen Ramsey, of course, with in Los Angeles and in Chicago, he had Kyle Fuller, who's, you know, longer and more physical. So I am curious to see, like, if he takes Trent McDuffie, does he really care much at all about like having three similar body types at corner? The short King secondary. <laughs> I, I will say one of the names he pointed out when reading off that scouting profile to jc jackson was the mike evans game and mike evans is clearly not a small guy yeah and that was out that's the only game i've watched of jc jackson so far very impressive held his own no problem there so i think that he at least plays bigger i don't know if that'll mean anything to staley but he at least plays bigger and i think staley could be comfortable with that yeah and we saw asante do similar had similar success in college against a guy like diami brown and and players of of that stature so um yeah i think that's a good point um, as far as I know, JC Jackson is 5'10 or under. I, I, I have never seen anything about JC Jackson being 6'1. Someone want to look that up? Yeah, I'm looking that up because I thought it was the opposite too, where it was I thought he was a little taller than it being shorter, but then I think the RAS score came out. Yeah, he's he's 5'10 from, from his combine, so okay. maybe he grew. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> um, I'll take some of that water, whatever that was, but yeah. Uh, no, I, he's a five ten at the combine. 
Okay. I mean, maybe he grew. I don't know. Okay. Possible. What is 69.75 inches, guys? What What is that in, in feet? Uh, is that 5'9 five, nine and 5'9, five, nine, seven, five? Uh, five, Yeah, 5'5. Five, five. That's 5.8 feet. You know, forget it. He's not 6'1. Okay. He's not 6'1. PFF has him at 6'1. That's a lie. <laughs> well, he also, they also had the, uh, what's his name from last year? Who's the receiver last year who was actually like four inches shorter? Um, Bateman. Like, Rashad Bateman. They, yeah, they have him like 6'3. Six, six, yeah, at some point, he was like 6'3. And then by the time he got to the senior bowl and the combine, he was like 5'10 or something. NFL website has him at six one two. Man, what is happening? Well, okay, JC Jackson, come on the podcast and tell us how tall you are, man. We, we JC Jackson, come on the podcast, and your background has to be like one of those markers that you grow up with on the wall, where they mark every time you've grown. So you have to have that in your background for us to check how tall you are. Yeah, yeah. We we had to verify Donald Parham's height, and so now we need to do the same thing with JC Jackson. Are you okay, five, for what it's you worth? Yeah, his his RAS card says five nine and six eighths just right. saying there we go it's just me basically out there imagine that okay <laughs> are you five nine i don't know five nine five ten I don't okay know. <laughs> five ten <laughs> there we go you yeah. always gotta round up <laughs> yeah right? yeah like, five ten yeah. five eleven push it up to six two who cares yeah <laughs> All right. So sounds good. Uh, we're going to dive into our rankings here on, you know, in terms of the top 10 cornerback rankings of the 2022 draft class. Uh, really excited to see this one. I think it's Alex's turn to uh, start us off. Am I right there? Uh, okay. I will take seven. that and run with it. All right. At number 10, I have Alante Taylor. At number nine, I have Penn State's Tariq Castro Fields. At number eight, I have Roger McCreary. Uh, and then at number seven, I have Kobe Bryant. Uh, so then I will talk a little bit about Tariq Castro Fields, who's kind of the the my guy of this, you know, seven to ten portion. Um, I, you know, really like obviously how he physically tested, you know, he's going to be a physical fast freak, but I think that's kind of backed up on the film when you watch him, uh, also just plays super aggressive, uh, really all the time, no matter where he's lined up on the field, whether he's lined up, uh, further away, whether he's lined up, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage and he's just trying to sniff out something like a wide receiver screen, just always very physical, um, on the ball as well, uh, Tackling is, is a little bit more of an issue with him, which is why he's not higher for me, um, because yeah. sometimes he'll, you know, Stephen put it as making business decisions when he tackles, but I think he sort of just has a way of losing leverage a little bit. So I think there's just a little bit more uh, aggressiveness that's needed there. Um, but overall, I, you know, when you're talking about guys that you're taking a shot on in the third or fourth round, you're really just looking for pieces that, you know, you can kind of develop into something else. And by God, he's not as much of a project as the other Tariq uh, in this draft class. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> Tariq Woolen. So Tariq Castro Fields, yeah. the best cornerback named Tariq in this class. Uh, I, you know, I just thought that he has a pretty good physical profile. Um, and it, I think he has a lot of, um, traits that you would have just when he's playing that would be considered kind of moldable you can kind of work with him on being a better tackler but you can't really teach just sticking to a defender or sticking to a receiver i should say 
you can't really, you know, teach kind of the fluidity he has when he runs. And obviously, when it comes to a lot of these guys, you cannot teach size and length as well. Um, mm-hmm. So all the tools that he does have, uh, I thought his tape against Ohio State was pretty impressive as well. So for me, I, I have Tariq Castro Fields uh, as the guy in this 7 to 10 range, and I have him at number nine. Yeah, uh, Tariq Castro Fields just missed uh, my top 10. Like you said, the, the tackling issues are a concern. Um, but I think once you get to a certain point in this draft, you and Tyler and I were having this conversation before uh, we hopped on. And it's like, once you get down this board, it's like, okay, this guy's a slot corner only. This guy's a slot corner only. This guy's a slot corner only. And uh, so I think somebody like Tariq, Tariq Castro Fields definitely has value. There are definitely some really good attributes here. Like you mentioned, athletic profile is outstanding. I think his ball skills are fantastic as well. Yeah. You know, that's something that really stood out to me in particular against Auburn, actually. So Auburn, to me, was was the best game tape that I watched of him, and I, I came away really impressed. And then kind of yeah. the tackling issues, you know, started popping up in, in other right. games. So I like Casterfields yeah. a lot. He's definitely better than where TDN has him. I think TDN has him going in like yeah. sixth, seventh mm-hmm. round usually. I don't think that's the case. I think he's too right. athletic. He's got too many mm-hmm. good attributes to go, you know, that late. So I agree. There's a lot to like there. Tackling is definitely an issue, though. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was just, I was just gonna pop in and say, you know, the thing that kind of really swung me was the the Senior Bowl as well. Um, I think when you watch some of those videos yeah. and some of the reps he did there, that's something that I think absolutely uh, boosted his stock as well. That's a good call. I didn't go back and revisit the Senior Bowl for corners. I probably should have, but I did not. But same yeah. same issue, obviously the the missed tackle rate. It's a missed tackle rate. Of twenty nine point one, which is twenty nine. <laughs> shit. So oh shit, I didn't know it was that high. Fuck. Yeah. So shit. I mean, even that Ohio State, <laughs> right? Even that Ohio State game, I think Jackson Smith. I forgot to say his name. He dove uh, and, and completely and missed something like that. He completely dove and whiffed on that tackle, and he went for fifty more yards. So that's definitely to be fair. A he does that to everybody. It's true. It's true. Steven has firsthand experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, our uh, our running back was playing corner, but uh, Smith <laughs> Nagiba is uh, is that dude, man. Like, yeah, early early receiver one next year for sure. By the way, Stephen, I had to look at my phone and relook at a previous episode. I noticed that your background has changed. You have some more Utah stuff up yes. there. Nice yes. work. Yeah, I went from all Chargers. Had to put some Utah stuff stuff in there. That uh, the pennant from the Utah one is actually from the Rose Bowl. So cool. Um, mm. Had to get it up. All right, so uh, I'll do my rankings next here at number ten. I do have Marcus Jones from Houston at number nine. I have Martin Emerson from Mississippi State at number eight. I have Alante Taylor from Tennessee, and uh, at number seven I have Kyler Gordon from Washington. So. Um, I want to talk about Alante Taylor here because mm-hmm. this to me really is kind of the perfect Michael Davis proactive replacement because he is somebody obviously that has ties to the Chargers coaching staff, played under Derek Ansley at Tennessee, and uh, was the other guy's name Shoemaker? Mm, yes, Isaac Shoemaker. Isaac Shoemaker, who is one of the secondary assistant coaches. Brandon Staley was at the University of Tennessee much earlier in his career. Um, so there, there are ties to the coaching staff. We know that the Chargers have met with him um, several times from what we've heard uh, in terms of his pro day at the Senior Bowl. And I think there was a virtual meeting in there as well. So there are ties there. That's an easy dot connector. Mm-hmm. And I think he's actually legitimately good. You know, one of these players that can play outside, play inside, play safety if they, they need him to from time to time. 
And, you know, Tyler and I were having this conversation on Twitter as a former receiver convert, man, like he's got a surprising amount of physicality and swagger that he brings to the table. You know, typically when you hear like receiver convert switching to cornerback, they're not somebody that's overly physical. That's, you know, a, a scrum tackler from time to time. And that, and that is the case with Elante Taylor. So he's not the greatest, you know, in terms of change of direction. That was his lowest testing mm -hmm. area. So it's something that kind of backs up on tape and the athletic traits. But, you know, he's got length. He's got size. He can play both spots to me. And he's got really good ball skills as a willing tackler. So not the greatest athlete by any means, but I think he's somebody that checks a lot of boxes um, in terms of traits, in terms of ability, and again, the coaching connections that this team has for him. So uh, I think he probably ends up going in somewhere in the fourth, fifth round um, mm -hmm. just because he's not that elite athlete. But I would be pretty you know, happy with the potential Michael Davis replacement with Alante Taylor. Yeah, I, it, it's a bit of projection here because there are some moments where it feels like, like if I were grading him and I didn't know that he was a wide receiver convert, maybe I wouldn't rank him as high. But knowing that and understanding that, there's a lot that he's developed so far so quickly. And for yeah. him to have, like you said, that mentality, that swagger, that confidence, to go out and fight anybody, to be an all-in tackler like he is, that's really impressive. So he's he's eighth for me as well. Um, he did test with a 9.07, but most of that was great size and elite speed. Yeah. Um, the agility is definitely a concern. I think just over time, he's going to be a guy that has to, you know, learn how what things look like on the football field. You know, right. not get fully caught up on those double moves or some quick twitch stuff. But you know, he's going to get better at that. And I think you take, you know, a decent, pretty you know, nine whatever ROS score, an all-in tackler, you know, guy who plays the ball well, has the swagger and the confidence. You develop that kind of guy. So I really do like him. I almost feel like his film is worse than I like him, but there's so many things to like, and you can tell what the projection is. See, I have, I have him at eight as well. And he made your top 10 as well, right, Alex? Uh, yeah, I, ha I had Alante Taylor right at number 10. Cool. I'll take it. Go ahead, oh. Tyler. Alrighty. So my number 10, at number 10, I have Mario Goodrich, the corner from Clemson. Number nine, Roger McCreary from Auburn. At eight, I have Alante Taylor from Tennessee. At number seven, I have Martin Emerson from Mississippi State. I almost was going to talk about Goodrich because I'm definitely higher than on, on him than, than some people. But Emerson was somebody I watched right before this. And boy, like, yeah, I also had to go back and watch his 2020 Georgia tape. This guy is, to me, especially off that, that Georgia game and the Memphis game that I watched, he's far more quick and far more agile than that RAS score, which is a... 8.48, which is like good, but you obviously want to be a little bit better. But I mean, this is a guy who is 6'1, you know, 33 and a half inch arms. But watching him against Memphis, he was battling it with Calvin Austin on the outside and keeping up with him in that twitch, in that burst, in that breakdown. Really surprising for a guy that big. Um, but this dude is also a monster versus screens. If you watch him, maybe one play a game, one definitely against Georgia, one against Memphis that I watched at the end of the end of my cycle today. He reads, reacts, and blows up the screen as the ball is getting to the receiver. So he's already read it, reacted, ducked under, gone around the blocker, and blown up the receiver right when the ball touches him. And even, like, not illegally, but he's right about to catch the ball, hits his hands, jars the ball loose. Like, he is ready to go downhill. He's probably my favorite downhill tackler of this mm. group, and especially in that Georgia game. He was just flying downhill, laying hits, and it's awesome to watch. Um, there's definitely things, you know, that different, like I would not have watched 2020 if I didn't see 
that he had 12 passes broken up in 2020. This past year, I think it was far, far less than that. So there is definitely a dip in production. He's limited to only being an outside corner, in my opinion. I think he plays really well in zone. I guess you could put him in band, but I do like him more in zone. Didn't test super great, so but he's a guy that I would love for a team, maybe the Chargers, to work with uh, on day three, maybe that round four range. I think he could go round three. Um, he's just a physical presence. He's a smart player. He's a tall, long player. And again, you watch him versus Calvin Austin, and he's kind of hanging in there with the twitch. So very, very impressive all around. I really like him. Yeah, he was somebody that I came to late as well. Uh, watched him earlier this afternoon. And I I will say that he, to me, was somebody that I was like, okay, if Gus Bradley was still the coach here, I would really <laughs> yeah. want Martin Emerson. Yeah, Because he yeah. really is that like lanky, really good tackler, kind of cover three zone corner. Mm-hmm. And that's really a lot of what he was asked to do at Mississippi State. Mississippi mm-hmm. State is their whole thing is we're we are going to let things happen underneath and we're going to rally yep. and tackle so martin emerson played a ton of quarters a ton of cover three coverages and i think he reads them well he's a really good zone corner but i do think he has the traits to become an effective man corner mm-hmm. in a scheme like the chargers but it would definitely be a work in progress so i was a fan of him as well and again like you get to that point where it's just like okay here's another nickel corner here's another nickel corner so somebody like martin emerson who does have that size as as an outside corner you know can really stand out once you get to a certain point yeah and i think at a certain point you just are kind of betting on traits and it's like okay well this out of the 500 nickel corners this guy is the (laughs) tallest and he might be able to run good so i I feel like that's kind of what it it all just starts to, to kind of blend together at a certain point um i guess i'll go now for my six to four uh i have six i have uh florida's kair elam at number five, I have Washington's Kyler Gordon. And at number four, I have Clemson's uh, Andrew Booth. So, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about Kyler Gordon just because I came away with it like, okay, this is like kind of the perfect Staley corner. <laughs> like when I just look at a guy who I think is going to be able to play, uh, you know, really from the nickel, I think he could play really all over the field. Uh, whether, you know, we talk about Michael Davis's struggles with recognizing the amount of coverages, but I think he could play zone. I think he could play off man. Uh, and there's just so many like instances where he's not even necessarily in the play, but he'll come back into it and make some clean read uh, or just make a really good tackle or a contest on the ball. Uh, even if he, that wasn't his primary receiver he was supposed to cover. So, um, you know, we talk about size and length all the time and he's six foot, 200 pounds. Um, so there, there's no questions there, uh, in terms of, you know, what his size is. So for me, in terms of, you know, I think that the two duos that people talked about were really sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, uh, and Trent and Kyler Gordon as well. And I just thought Kyler was kind of, you know, when you compare him to someone like Kobe Bryant, he just was, you know, far and away, I think like the better prospect a little bit, um, and separated himself as like someone that's actually closer to Trent McDuffie. Uh, than say Bryant is to Sauce Gardner, but yeah, no, I I really like the athleticism he shows. Um, mm-hmm. The mm, the missed tackle rate is probably something that will need to get a little bit better. Uh, there are a lot of instances on film where he misses some tackles, and then you know after the catch, particularly, which can be problematic, like like we just talked about a little bit with Tariq Castro Fields. So I mm-hmm. guess I'm just betting that all these guys get better at tackling. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. 
But for me, uh, I think you're talking about Kyler Gordon as a guy who uh, just is going to do really well at the next level and has that explosiveness as well. I think a lot of people were complaining because he ran a, a slower 40 time than people expected. But he also had really solid three cone drills um, as yeah. well. So for me, the the agility uh, as well as how fast he can change direction that was never yeah, a question mark for him. Uh, so he tested really well. Uh, I think he's going to you know just kind of be if he is drafted by the Chargers that perfect Staley corner. I think whatever team gets him can kind of just you can ask him to do whatever he wants. You know he doesn't have to be your CB one. He doesn't really have to have that expectation from day one. Uh, and he can just focus on making plays with the ball, whatever position you put him in on the field. Uh, so I think, you know, his blitzing ability is really great, too. So I, I think that for me, Kyler Gordon uh, is a guy that the Chargers, although it's weird, he he got invited to the draft, <laughs> which I, th- I think is really weird because we don't think about him as like this top 30 day one player. Uh, so yeah. maybe NFL front offices are higher on him than the you know draft consensus is. And maybe there's a legit chance he does go in round one. Um, but yeah, for me, uh, I, I think that, you know, if the Chargers are sitting there maybe late day two and they want to trade up or maybe even mid day two and they want to trade up, that's a cornerback prospect that I, I think is is kind of, I, I'd be willing to bet on the traits there. Yeah, the Kyler Gordon experience, if you will, was rather strange this year because it was like, you know, he was getting like hyped up more than Trent McDuffie was early on in the process. And, you know, he's the better athlete and he's the better prospect. And, you know, then at the combine, it was like, oh, he didn't test super well. And then it was like, oh, Trent McDuffie. And, you know, it was a really weird thing. So he apparently was sick at the combine for what it was worth. I don't, you know, oh. apparently him and my Jay Sanders were both uh, eating at the same Chipotle or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie were both on Bruce Feldman's freak list. So athleticism really is not a concern for me for either one. I know that both of them are are mm-hmm. very, very athletic. And I think Kyler Gordon is there as well. So um, it was also interesting, like, the, like, you hear about these guys, right? And before I was able to watch them, if you had told me, like, the profiles and, and what is good about each one, I would have thought that Trent McDuffie was the guy who was in the slot most of the time. And it was mm-hmm. actually Kyler Gordon. So Kyler Gordon was doing a bit of both. And Kyler Gordon mm-hmm. was, you know, matching up against tight ends and things like that. So I do like Kyler Gordon a lot. I think, you know, there are certain ball skill issues and tackling issues that worry me a little bit. And he was only a starter for a year mm-hmm. as opposed to Trent who started for three years. So uh, Gordon is definitely somebody that has very intriguing a- athletic traits like Alex mentioned. And I do think he could potentially be kind of that, nickel db hybrid that teams like the chargers are using all over the place so i like kyler but you know he made my top 10 i i don't like him as much as alex though yeah i'm i'm pretty close how did you guys weigh and factor in because there's a couple of guys or a couple of tandems in this class you know booth goodrich or um why am i blanking mcduffie and gordon yeah. or um bryant and and gardner yeah so how did you guys weigh or even consider if at all the fact that one guy really isn't like one guy's a field corner, one guy's a boundary corner. How'd you guys weigh that? Um, I, I didn't weigh it too much, I guess, with the Kyler Trent situation, because to me, that was, uh, I, I do think Trent McDuffie is the better NFL prospect, but like Kyler showed enough to me where it's like, okay, you know, maybe he wasn't the lead corner here, but I think he can develop into that at the NFL level. Um, I didn't, I didn't get too much of a chance to watch the, the Goodrich tandem, uh, unfortunately, but I do think 
Sauce and Kobe. Um, yeah, I, I didn't weigh that one like too much against the other one as well. Because although Sauce was, you know, obviously, I mean, he's the best quarterback in this class. So, but I don't think you hold that against Kobe Bryant. Like, I mean, I think he did enough uh, on his own to, to justify a top 10 spot or if he fell just outside of the top 10 for any of us. Um, but I, I didn't really hold that against them because at the end of the day, they're either playing on the opposite side of the field. Um, I guess you could argue just like they take the harder matchups, you know? So if, if you are the true CB one, but for me, I didn't hold it against anyone. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Definitely don't hold it against anyone. I, I think this has just kind of become a, a pet peeve of mine in, in terms of college football because teams don't say, hey, like we're going to go put sauce against your number one receiver. And I, I like, like, let's go. You know, I'm sitting here watching, you know, LSU and UCLA and Derek Stingley is guarding some Joe Schmo on the outside while Kyle Phillips and, and Greg Dulcich are just shredding the LSU defense. So I think it's more of a, a pet peeve of college football, you know, Utah in 2019 refused to put Jalen Johnson and Michael Pittman and Michael Pittman had like 240 yards on us and single-handedly won the game. So, uh, you know, it's a college pet peeve at this point saying, Hey sauce, you're on the left side, Kobe Bryant, you're on the right side. We're never moving either of you. That's where you go. And so I don't really hold it, hold them against it, hold anything against them that way. But um, the duo that we're most of that was sauce and Kobe, man. Cause it's like, you could really tell that teams just did not want to go after sauce at all at certain points mm-hmm. outside of, you know, the good teams, Alabama and Notre Dame. Um, but uh, Kobe Bryant held his own, man. And I, I like Kobe Bryant. Yeah, me too. I don't think I held it against anybody in particular, but just was curious because there's so many tandems to talk about. Oh, man, we got a rat roll in here watching and grilling some pop, some prime rib, baked potatoes, zucchini and green beans. Uh, can we come uh, party at your house, man? Can you you uh, invite us to the barbecue? Let's go. It's in New York. I've been there once. Ooh. It was nice. Binghamton? Is that how you say that? I don't think I've ever heard of Binghamton, New York. I think it is Binghamton. Alex, have you ever been to Binghamton? No. <laughs> sounds fancy, though. It does Probab- sound fancy. Probably. It sounds pretty bougie. I don't know. I don't know. Rat, um, tag me on Twitter with a picture of of uh, your grilling. I want to see it because now I'm hungry. So thank you. Yeah, send, um, send Stephen a picture of your meat. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he got you on that one, dude. I'm laughing at Brain Fahoko all these like a couple weeks ago when he was like, "Man, I'm trying to get into this raw meat game," and I'm like, <laughs> "Pause." <laughs> Fahoko's tweets are just so weird, man. Like they'll just be like. I don't know. It's either like I'm eating some raw meat today or Russell Westbrook is the greatest Laker of all time. And I'm like, there's, there's just no in between. I don't know with him. <laughs> you know, Braden's out here talking about how in and out sucks, which I agree. And then he's like, <laughs> oh, tacos and hot dogs are the same thing. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> you can't do that to me. I, I, I just can't keep up with his Twitter sometimes. He, he's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> he is. He is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we'll get back to the rankings here. So uh, at number six, I do have Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. Um, number five, I have Trent McDuffie from Washington. So I actually have Trent and Kyler Gordon, uh, almost right next to each other. Kobe Bryant's kind of in between them. And then, uh, number four, I have Kyir Elam from, uh, Florida. So I'll talk about Elam cause he, that was kind of a really up and down experience too, for me watching him because his tackling is a big, big issue, but I, I think, you know, definitely something he's going to have to correct. But in terms of pure cover corners, I think you can make a legitimate case that Kair is at least up there with Sauce and Stingley in that regard. And so um, I think he's got that length, that physicality. And you watch him against Jamison Williams and you watch him against George Pickens and you watch him against these number one receivers from all these SEC schools. And Kair Elam has legitimately good shutdown tape against these players. And you know there was a point where Jamison Williams could flat out do nothing against Kair Elam in press man situations. And of course, Jamison improved on that throughout the season when he got more experience there. But uh, I, I think in terms of a different element as it relates to the chargers, like Kyrie Elam being a physical press man corner would be something that really interests me and, and being able to pair that with JC Jackson, get these two physical corners to just beat up on these receivers at the line. is something that is intriguing to me. I think 17 is a little rich, but I do really like Kair's ability to shut down one side of the field, go mm-hmm. up against top competition, and have good, good tape against those top competition players. Like I said, those wide receiver ones in the SEC. So, again, the, the tackling is an issue. But mm-hmm. in terms of pure coverage ability, I think Kair is definitely up there with the best one in this class. Yeah, I have Kyrie Lam at five. I am very, I, I love everything you talked about, and I have him at five. So, obviously, I like him. But I'm definitely worried about the bust potential here, especially at 17. Yeah. Um, guys that don't really tackle all that well, um, especially if it's an effort thing, that doesn't usually suit, sit well with me. And it didn't. Uh, Elon's a technique thing, I will say. Elon was a technique thing for me. Right. And, eh, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, he's also, <laughs> he's also okay. a bit of a penalty machine. Uh, he has more penalties than my top four combined this past season, although one of those is, is Stingley. So I guess that's not fair. Um, so yeah, worried about the tackling, worried about the penalties. Um, there are guys later on who I think were good with their hands who did not have any penalties or many penalties. And that's why I like them a little bit more. Um, and then just a couple of, you know, if, if you, if he tries to press and if you can duck under that or get around it, there was a couple of times I was worried about him getting exposed. He was, I think I brought it up months ago. Um, against Florida state. Someone ducked right under it, beat him right down the field for a go ball or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a concern, but 
what he can do on the outside. And I think what separates, so he's in between McDuffie and Gordon for me. And to me, just knowing, I think, and hoping that he can play on the outside and be a shutdown lockdown corner and even just kind of a different corner on the outside. That's what made him my top five over someone like Gordon. Yeah, totally understand the concerns there. But uh, yeah, I, again, I don't love him, but I do like him a lot. So yeah. Tyler, go ahead. Alrighty. At number six, I have Kyler Gordon. At number five, I have Kyler Elam. At number four, I have Trent McDuffie. I actually have McDuffie in my number three. Graded exactly the same. It just came down to I'm more confident one can play on the outside. That is technically more valuable. I think McDuffie just has... I really liked McDuffie, and I really wanted to put him in my top three. Yeah. Um, this is a guy who I watched his 2020. It's, sometimes you just randomly pick up on things. And there's a play versus Oregon, I think, in 2020, where he has to chase some sort of shallow crosser or something across the field. And he runs right into another receiver, or another defensive back or whatever, totally messes up on that play. The following year, I believe against the same team against Oregon, he navigates past everybody perfectly tackles the guy on a shallow crosser and brings up you know a fourth down this was on third down and granted it was one play was like third and you know what one this one was third and 12 or whatever but to have shown growth almost on a similar play against the exact same team is awesome that really stuck in my mind and him he is just all over the field when he tries to tackle he's on the backside chasing you know plays down against michigan on third down you know backside of the play he is screaming down the line of scrimmage at the goal line forces fourth down they go for it on fourth down again they don't convert but they don't convert on fourth down because he stopped them short on third down and it's really 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 impressive that's something that makes him really stand out to me as a guy who just is all in for his team i think he's a guy who's got fantastic movement skills he plays with his outstanding quickness he tested well um, i i think he is a bit more shifty and twitchy in man coverage which does separate him from gordon in my opinion i think this guy is a very very safe bet you look at the the testing you look at the numbers he is let's see so res score 9.49 number four or number five on our composite rankings he plays well in the run game he looks good there he is from washington i think they're a bit of a dbu factory at this point or at least yeah. they're getting there and listen if things don't work out on the outside i think he's gonna he has like all pro slot potential i really think with his ability to chase down runs to tackle his twitchiness. I think he could be a legitimate all pro slot corner. So if it doesn't work on the outside, congratulations. You probably have a all pro slot corner in my opinion. So I really, really like him overall. Um, again, it's just, he doesn't really project as well on the outside as the three guys I have ahead of him, but overall, I really, really do like him and it was awesome watching him. Yeah. He's, he was a lot of fun to watch as well for me. And, um, you know, there, there were a lot of things that stand out. But to me, like I said, the thing that separates McDuffie and Gordon, in my opinion, is the ball skills. So there was this mm. uh, game from 20. There was this play from 2020 against Utah, actually, that really stood out to me. And, you know, uh, Brent Keithy, our big slot power tight end, mm-hmm. um, you know, was lined up in the slot. And we had a, an outside guy named Solomon Enos, not a draftable guy, but he, he was out there. <laughs> um, and so they did this route combination where Trent McDuffie is on Solomon Enos and they do this route combination and Brad Keithy ends up doing essentially like a wheel route from the slot and McDuffie has to go from Enos and exchange and get on to Brant Keithy. Who's like six, three and a half, six, four big tight end. And uh, then the quarterback at the time throws it to Keithy to Keithy. And it was a jump ball situation. And Trent McDuffie went up there right up with him, battled him at the, 
at the catch point, really physical guy and intercepted it, came down with it. And that really stood out to me at the time. And, you know, there were several times against uh, Ty Jordan, our, uh, the running back who passed away, where he's tackling him in space and coming down in, in, in run support and being a physical corner. So I really, really like McDuffie. I really wanted him to put him higher, but it's just the it's just the size, man. It really is. It's a very similar conversation with Asante Samuel Jr. You check so many boxes mm-hmm. until you get to that height, until you get to that arm length, and you just you just can't get yeah. there all the way. So very similar vibes with him and Asante Samuel Jr. But I love his tape. Love what he could bring to an NFL team. Yeah, I mean, I like Trey McDuffie quite a lot too. Also had him at number four. It it's just a weird one because we we talked about him earlier. Like if you if the Chargers drafted him at seventeen, like you know, I I think that would be a good pick. But also, do they want to roll in with you know uh, someone like J.C. Jackson who's five ten and then have five eleven and then Navasante Samuel Jr. is smaller and then also uh, have you know two of them have fairly small arm sizes as well. So do they want to put them those guys against bigger receivers and uh, bigger tight ends like that. That I think is really the question in terms of whether he would fit in as the 17th pick, or do you kind of want to put him on a team where, you know, he has kind of bigger cornerbacks that it can, you know, help him out on the defense and, you know, kind of let him grow into his career as well. So uh, I, I think he's a great prospect, two inches taller, two inches, bigger arms might be number one in this class. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He'd have a legitimate argument for sure. If he, even, yeah. if, it was, even if, if it was just an inch, and he had 30 right. inch arms because, you know, I forget who it was, but the odds of uh, of a corner with 30 inch arms or less hitting are just really against him because it's just a, it's a ball skills issue. It's a length issue. It's a physicality issue. But I think McDuffie has enough to make up for it as right. opposed to Roger McCreary, who I'm not as high on. Um, so th- I think McDuffie has enough to make up for it. And. He reportedly was like begging the coaches at Washington to let him play safety because he knew that it would kind of, you know, allow him to be more around the ball and get some more action because nobody nobody was throwing at him because he so he wanted to go you know be around the ball more. So um, I think McDuffie has enough mentally and that he has enough in the short area, like Tyler said, you know, potentially being a slot guy. There's a, so much to like there. It's just he doesn't check that very last box that you wish he could. All right, Alex, uh, wrap us up with your top three here. All righty. From number three, I have Andrew Booth. At number two, I have LSU's Derek Stingley. And at number one, I do have Ahmad Sass Gardner. Um, yeah, I, I mean, th- this will be, I assume, the Stingley Sauce debate uh, that has raged about Twitter. It felt like just early on in the draft process, Sauce was just kind of the number one corner. Then Stingley, you know, WWE style comes out and says, actually, my foot's fine. And then he does his pro day. And <laughs> and, and yeah. now, you know, he's back in number one corner conversations uh, over Sauce Gardner, maybe in some situations. So I don't know who's going to end up going first. I would still kind of bet Sauce. Um, but for me, the difference between the two is I really saw an ascension and Sauce Gardner kind of getting better uh, as a corner every year versus Stingley. It felt partially because of the injury and partially because he only played 10 games. But from that 2019, he was just kind of on a straight dissension from what he once was, obviously still playing at a very high level when he can or, or when he could uh, in both of those seasons. But for me, Sauce Gardner, th- the way that he is just, you know, I-, I think there's a question about competition level with him. But I mean, if you have a question about him playing competition, just go watch uh, the Jameson Williams film. 
like that that was the first thing when we were doing the receivers episode and i was watching receivers i was like hey who's this guy who's just pushing james williams shit right now and that's why i was lower on james williams to start the process and then i was like oh no that's just how good sauce Gardner is, and that's what he does to everybody um he's very he's just a very smart corner as well and the way that he's able to just like he has this tendency to like stop routes in their tracks. Like he, he just can do this and he's like, no, I'm actually going to make you run the route that you're more uncomfortable with, uh, with the way that he kind of plays mind games as well. Um, he, he, you know, I think the comp for him or the comp for both him and Stingley is that uh, he's this uh, sauce is more of this like Richard Sherman kind of corner, right? He's a little bit uh, of a slimmer build. He's not going to be this guy who's like, you know, uh, super like physical keeping up with you. But, but I think the way that he tackles, like, obviously, there's not really much of an issue there. Um, he, he really just checks all of the boxes, um, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't really commit too many penalties as well. Uh, so for me, I, I think because of the Stingley thing, if Stingley had just kept up his play from 2019 and into 2020 and 2021, I think he'd be a pretty slam dunk CB1. Um, but for me, I think the way that Sauce Gardner is able to just jam people up on his routes, the way that you could move him around theoretically in, in, in a Staley defense or really any defense in the league, um, I think he's the most pro-ready and could play in, in any system right now. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I think there's going to be uh, definitely some debate as to whether Stingley should go first, but uh, Sauce, to me, just handles his business more often, has been more available uh, and, you know, the growth that he's had from his first season at Cincinnati to now, um, it, it's just night and day with the kind of player he is. Yeah, you know, Sauce really is an old school college corner because, I mean, I think it was like 57% of his snaps came in press man situations, which, again, you don't really see a whole lot of that in the college game anymore. It's a lot of off coverage, lots of zone, um, lots of bracketing. So you get a lot of help. And so. Sauce really is, you know, an, an old school corner. And like the competition thing, it's not like he was in the Mountain West, man. Like he's in the right. American Conference going up against Houston, going up against Temple, Memphis, Navy. Actually, why did I say Navy? Yeah. I was just going down the list of the teams in my head of like who was in the American Conference. Navy. But <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't throw the ball ever under any circumstances. So I don't know why I said them. Um, but then you look at his tape against Notre Dame, you look at his tape against Alabama who do have top-notch guys. And, you know, the, the Cincinnati DBs all took turns against, uh, Myers, the tight end from Notre Dame and, and sauce really was the best one against him as well. So I think in sauce, you're getting that long physical press man corner who can play zone in, in instances too. So the Richard Sherman comparison feels okay to me. And like, you know, I'd have to go back and watch a lot more Richard Sherman film and, and really kind of verify that. But in terms of the physical profiles, like there's a lot to like there. So I totally understand where you're going. I have Derek Stingley at CB1, man. And, uh, Damn, and got out number two to one. Great. <laughs> you never know. I know. Yeah, I, me and Tyler were messaging back and forth while Alex was asleep the other night, and we're like, "Man, this is—it's like so conflicting because Sauce is cleaner. Like he—he he does have that ascension, you know, progressing each and every year. And like you watch the Jameson Williams stuff, and it's legitimately 
elite tape. And I wish he wasn't. I think he got hurt in warmups against Georgia last season. Uh, so like the 2020 bowl game, the Peach Bowl. I wish he had that other game too. But with Stingley, man, I, I think the the struggles of 2020 were really vastly overrated to me. I went back and watched a couple of games from that season. And he was still really, really freaking good in 2020. Um, the game against UCLA was not the best this season, which, you know, could be the injury that was kind of lingering. I don't really know, but I -hmm. think the best cornerback tape that I've watched over the last few years was Derek Stingley in 2019. And I think if he had had that season this past season, I think Derek Stingley is going first overall in this draft. I think he would be that good of a prospect. It's just that the injury, the, the tape last year, wasn't the best. So, I think the thing with Derek Stingley is that you're betting on the you're betting on the elite ceiling that we saw as a freshman. And like his RAS score right now isn't the greatest. Like it's I think it's like 8.9 or something like that. But that was three weeks out from being healthy and cleared medically from a foot injury that, you know, is like an 11 month long recovery. So athletically, I think he has everything you want. I think he can just do more things than sauce. Like that's really what it comes down to. To me, I think he can be effective in the slot i think he can be effective as a deep safety which he did a few times i think he can be press man off man zone these ball skills are outstanding that's really kind of the difference for me between him and sauce as well so i really really like sauce man i think he's very clean i do think he's worth a top 10 pick but i think if you can get Derek stingley and get 2019 Derek stingley out of him you're looking at a top three potential corner in the league and so I understand the risks. I normally hate doing this with like medical concerns of this nature, but to me, Derek Stingley is CB one. I'm stunned. We both came to this conclusion. <laughs> it's usually not what I would have done either. I mean, last no. year I bumped out Newsom for concerns, Farley for I think way worse concerns in my opinion. Yeah, and so I, I went back and forth. I had I actually think on my big board, it still has Gardner ahead of Stingley. Like I went back and forth on this as recently as two days ago, yesterday, this morning. But to me, so like Traylon Burks isn't my highest graded wide receiver, but he's my wide receiver one because I'm betting kind of on what he could do if he goes to the right team, if he goes to the right situation, who has a higher ceiling? And I think that's Traylon Burks. To me, it's the same with Stingley. Now, I think Gardner does deserve to go before Stingley. I think just being clean and also being very freaking good. Like, I want to talk about Gardner just for a little bit. Like, he... He plays so freaking well. He can redirect the wide receiver as needed, um, you know, even out of bounds if, if the other wide receiver is less physical. Quick reaction kind of guy can play all over, you know, was the boundary corner, was very difficult for him, held up very well. Again, that Jamison Williams tape is no joke. Definitely shut him down. Although I will say, I think Jamison Williams should be moved more around as a Z than trying to work him out as an outside, as an X. So I think things could have been different if he were moved around more. But Gardner is fantastic. And I, I nearly, I have yeah. a first round grade on him. Like, I, I don't want to be the team that has to pick between Gardner and Stingley <laughs> wherever they have to pick them yeah. because that is that is really, really tough. Uh, to me, you know, Stingley, so I almost thought I was going to put Gardner first, and but then to just say that Stingley was my highest graded corner because that's where I do have it. But at the end of the day, I, I did put Stingley number one. I think he's a, a brilliant corner. I didn't see a time where I thought that Stingley was mentally lost on a play or blew an assignment. To me, it just took certain perfection to beat him or to break his coverage. And even think like, I know he gave up 200 yards versus Alabama, but to me, the mistakes are correctable 
and they didn't bug me all that much. Like, even the touchdown that he gave up in the back of the end zone, he was in great position. He read it perfectly. He had his hand up. The quarterback just threw it so high, and Devontae Smith was so good. They happened to get a very, you know, not impossible catch, but a very difficult one against Georgia down the sideline in 2019. There's a spinning catch down the sideline. Somebody has to make. I forget who the receiver was. It's like you have to beat him perfectly to beat him. Yeah. Now, you know, there are some guys who can also just regularly beat him. But, you know, overall, the ball skills, the head turn, the tracking just were fantastic. And and really the ball skills. I wish he had played more because who knows what kind of stats we could have seen over the last three years. I mean, again, like Staley says, like this is his J.C. Jackson. I could totally see why he would like J.C. Jackson and Derek Stingley because they have a lot of similarities in that regard. When to turn, how to turn, high point of one with one hand, you know. And also just some of these guys, like they don't play. Some people just play the ball, but they forget to play the ball or the receiver. So they don't have that second hand behind him while playing the ball in front. And he does that just so well, so routinely. I love that. Um, what really stood out to me, which I started to realize over time, is the way he just dominates the sideline. Because I was watching so many throws. I'm like, oh, he maybe got beat on that play. Oh, maybe got beat on that play. But the guy was just out of bounds. Oh, he was just in bounds. And then I'm realizing there are a lot of players catching the ball out of bounds deep against Derek Stingley. And what I'm realizing is he's redirecting with his hands. He's turning and moving beautifully, squeezing that wide receiver. So it's so difficult. Again, that twirling catch that Georgia had to get down the sideline. It's so hard, so difficult for a quarterback to fit that ball on the outside to the boundary against Stingley because you're, you're catching it out of bounds. And that's why, his reception rate, whatever it is, is like 33% that year. Yeah. You know, I think 40% overall because guys have to make these impossible, difficult catches. Oh, but then you throw it inside and he's picking it off or swatting it down. It's just he controls the boundary in such a way. I was so, was so, so phenomenal. Um, and then finally, sorry for the long one. I already talked about Stingley, but I like Stingley a lot. Um, there are just a couple of in-space plays that he makes when tackling. So ball skills, I think, do separate him from Gardner. And I also think Although they have two similar missed tackle rates, I feel like the the in space he's able to make are what sets him apart from from Amar Garner when it comes to the run or screens or whatever um, against UCLA. Right, third and one, he's on an island. The quarterback is running to his left. By golly, he cannot let him get this first down. It's just him and the quarterback drops yeah. him no problem. You know, against Central Michigan, I think it was a screen hits that guy, you know, forces a fumble against Central Michigan. These just these splash plays and these this this island tackling and, and work that he has that is just so so fantastic. So like yeah, we all talked about that we all know what the problems are, right? Injury history, I think missed tackle rate is a is a real thing. And just some of the unknown. He just didn't play a whole lot. But th- this does break everything that I I would have done. I didn't think I would have him at number one. I really, really didn't. And I switched it many times, but I'm yeah. keeping it here. Um, I don't want to say it's like Horn and Sertan last year, but to me, like Sertan was like the safe, almost surefire kind of guy. But I thought Horn could just get a little bit more out of him. And he almost did. He just tore his ACL. So we'll never really know. But same thing here. Like Stingley, I think can just get a little bit more. And while I think you might have a shutdown corner in Sauce Gardner, I think you have a game potential game changer in Derek Stingley. And that to me is the big difference. Uh, I think he broke his foot. I don't think he tore his ACL last year. Uh, he hurt Jay-Z Horn. Jay-Z Horn tore his ACL. Yeah. He tore his ACL? Oh. I'm pretty sure. Maybe yeah. I was watching it during the game and I thought he broke his foot. I don't know. Uh, someone put it in the chat. I don't know. <laughs> I remember watching that Thursday night game for whatever reason. Uh, but no, <laughs> I think... Um, no, 
I, I think it's a fair point that Derek Stingley has that higher physical upside. And I think uh, Stephen talked about this with Sam Monson of PFF, who was sort of like, you know, you just kind of look at whichever guy is going to give you the higher ceiling, right? Whichever guy gave you that higher level of play. And if you look at um, Stingley's 2019 tape, uh, then I think that that's, you know, what you would see as like the, the higher ceiling guy. Um, I, I guess for me, and we, we talked a little bit about this with Horn and Sir, and less so Horn and Sertan and more I was thinking like Sertan Farley uh, a little bit because Farley, I think, had a lot of these kind of medical concern problems. And I think there was a lot of hype around him potentially being CB1 had he not had those problems. Um, and so for me, that's a little bit of what this discussion is like, although it's different mm-hmm. because Stingley ended his season with uh, mm-hmm. foot injury. And then uh, I, I think Farley just sat out the season because he had because uh, of COVID uh, sort of withdrew from the season with that, I think. But uh, it, it's tough. But for me, they're close enough to the point where if I think you have, you know, long term potential issues in the NFL and the fact that he's only played 10 games the last two years, I think availability <laughs> just has to be a factor for me. Sure. Um, you know, if we were talking about like, I don't know, uh, Andrew Booth or Trent McDuffie as like the CB2 of this class and Derek Stingley is the CB1, I'd probably value health a little bit less and then just go with Derek Stingley. But yeah. for me, the difference between them is is so small that I guess I do value, you know, what you would have uh, as, as sort of the difference between them there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just one is a, a much safer pick than the other, uh, unfortunately, Definitely. in that regard. But whatever team gets Derek Stingley might be very well getting a steal, right? If you get him potentially out where the Chargers are at at 17 or just before that, um, you know, I think that that's still very possible that, you know, he could turn around and have a great NFL career. Um, there just isn't a lot of great history with guys that have had list Frank injuries and have come back from that immediately. So that is the thing for me where I, I think he's a great theoretical player um if mm-hmm. we did this podcast last year and he was in that group with horn and sertan and farley he'd probably be cb1 uh in that group as well so you know i think there is just an element to it of i think the injuries just uh unfortunately knock him down for me but i, I still think you know there's very much potential he can make a team very happy yeah no I totally get what you're saying and jc horn did break his foot so i was wrong um but oh it is what it is. This season ended to injury. It's whatever. Um, but yeah, to me, this is definitely different than Caleb Farley because Caleb Farley, he had a, an injury during college. Then he was healthy. Then he injured that same injury again, like in the draft process. And now, and it was a back injury, I think, both times. So now Caleb Farley has a. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think Farley was more drastic. I mean, at every point where it's just yeah. like there's always some kind of knee and back problem with him. Um, I, I just also think it, it is kind of an availability issue, although far, sure. you know, Stingley's injuries were different the last two years. It's like he was ultimately dealing with lower leg injuries that caused them to play 10 games um so so for me that that's more the the issue there and you know the the healing process of that where it's just like oh now he's completely 100 healed and he runs a 437 i'm like there, there's a little bit of like a too good to be true aspect to it uh where you know he miraculously turns around and has this uh five month recovery what was supposed to be 11 months i don't know it just gives me a little bit of hesitation uh when sure. we're talking about these guys yeah, totally understand that. I, I I just think it comes down to risk versus reward, and I think Tyler said that better than I could uh, when he was talking about that. So, um, all right, let's let's uh, backtrack a little bit because Andrew Booth, I 
think is number three for all of us. Yes. Yeah. Or Alex has him at four. Uh, no, I had him at three. I had uh oh. Oh, I guess yeah. No, I did have him at four. Never mind. Okay, so three for me, three for Tyler, four for Alex, and I think of this top group, you know, he's obviously the one that has the strongest chance of being there at seventeen for the Chargers. I think maybe there's a chance Derek Stingley falls, but kind of sounds like you know that ten to fifteen range is really uh, kind of the sweet spot. Frankly, I'd be pretty surprised if the Baltimore Ravens passed on Derek Stingley, just kind of given their scheme and their history of taking those kind of players, which would just be just be such a bummer and such a perfect pairing from there. But um, that being said, let's talk about Andrew Booth for a second here, because like I said, he he seems the most likely to be on the board at 17. He was the cornerback that we took in our first mock draft. And obviously we've kind of revisited him or, you know, visited him for the first time. So Tyler, where are you at with, uh, Andrew Booth, and do you think that he would be somebody that the Chargers could take at 17? Uh, could he be someone? Sure. Again, I don't really think they're going to take a corner at 17, but okay, let's say that they were interested in taking corner at 17. If he's there, sure, absolutely. I think he does kind of remind me a lot of Asante Samuel Jr. in the way that they have these great ball skills despite the limitation of their size. Um the missed tackle rate was interesting because you were the first person to be like, no, watch the tape, Tyler. And <laughs> I was like, it's, it's terrible. How, how good could this be? But like, this guy's a B, B tackler with an A plus mentality, in my opinion. Um, but I think his ability to play aggressively, stick in the hip pocket, you know, fit very well with wide receivers down the field. You know, I think he's always just in the right headspace, in that right position to make a play. You know, if it's short, if it's intermediate, you know, boundary, outside, inside, you know, whatever. I think he's able to predict it and jump it pretty well. Uh, very aware versus screens. Again, you, you might miss going after those screens. It's kind of like Stingley, but I think the mentality is there. Um, oh, what I want him at 17. I think the Chargers <laughs> could be interested. I, okay, so, yeah, okay. If they think Asante Simon Jr. is a corner two, and he, he is going to be the corner two at best this year, and if I think Booth... Reminds me a lot of, but a better version of Asante Samuel Jr. Then would they want someone like that at corner on their team with Asante Samuel Jr.? I don't know. I think they'd be interested. I really don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it it goes back to what we just talked about with um, McDuffie, right? In the, in that sense, with the the whole size profile, um, and it's just like, do you want? three not that jc jackson's small but do you want kind of three relatively smaller guys compared to some nfl secondaries and i I think that's kind of going to be the question going forward um especially if you are planning on phasing out michael davis which we kind of all expect them to heading into 2023 um so yeah no i mean i i do like andrew booth if he's there at 17 and there's you know no perceived you know perceivable better option um, I, I think he could be the guy. Um, it, it's tough for me because I did like him enough, but I, I do think there is like a. It, it's weird because Staley would totally love him uh, for for all of that stuff. Like, but the over aggressiveness in his game, I think, is definitely going to. It, it's going to make him better as like a tackler and you know making plays on the ball in the NFL. 
but it's also going to get him burned quite a few times. Like yeah. I, I do kind of see that nature to his game. Um, uh, I think it was uh, someone made a comp to him kind of being like a Janoris Jenkins uh, kind of player where he just is like, mm-hmm. there's some of the times where he's going to step up and make the play or make it like a huge hit. And there's times where the, <laughs> the receiver is probably going to get like 20 yards of yak because he just whipped the tackle. Um, and, and that happens with cornerback play in general. But uh, no, I could definitely see them going after Andrew Booth. Um, there is a little bit of like an injury concern with him in general. Sure. So it kind of depends on whether or not, uh, you know, the Chargers kind of medically check him out as well. I think he uh, had tendonitis in his right knee and then had patella tendon surgery in 2020. Um, and then I, he also has um, specifically disease as a child, actually, is Osgood uh, Schlatter disease which actually just, you know, causes knee swelling and pain, uh, oh, you know, yeah. so that's something yeah, he's yeah. going to have to deal with for the rest of his NFL career. Um, but if it does check out medically, I, I do think he's the kind of corner that someone like Staley would be into. Yeah, the knee thing I didn't know about. Um, obviously, I knew he had the the core injury and the core surgery, which has been uh, kind of obviously derailing his you know, draft lead up process. And obviously why he didn't participate in the combine, but in the knee thing, I don't, I don't know if that changes things for me or not. Cause um, I mean, I have knee issues, right. But not, obviously not an <laughs> NFL player, but I mean, I had patella tendon <laughs> surgery and I know how annoying that can be. And so I don't know if that changes things for me at all, but cause I, I, I think Andrew Booth's film is fantastic, man. I really do. Yeah. I think he's to me from a coverage standpoint, really reminded me of Marcus Peters. In the sense that he's okay. going to take risks, he's going mm-hmm. to be that ball hawk kind of corner, which you just kind of see. And I've seen some people kind of compare him to Antonio Cromartie too, where people are talking about in the chat. And to me, he's more Marcus Peters than Cromartie because Cromartie's right. you know, just had that elite physical frame. And um, so to me, he does remind me a bit of Marcus Peters, but he, he's mm. a great tackler, at least has the mentality to do that. So, yeah. you know, there are times where I'm watching Andrew Booth thinking to myself, and I could kind of see him being like a safety convert and and being mm. kind of a box safety and just let him come downhill and blitz and things like that. So I like Boosum a lot, man. I really do. Yeah. And when we took him in our first round mock draft, I think that was my selection, actually. Um, and I really like Booth. I think his film is fantastic. But the knee thing, man, I don't yeah uh, no know. it's it's weird because i hear people talk about the core muscle thing all the time and i'm like he also has knee problems um yeah not <laughs> i don't want to shit on anyone's parade because they're like andrew booth of the chargers i'm like um i, I don't know about that but <laughs> uh depends on how things medically clear out with him right. but mm-hmm. uh, i don't know that one for what you're picking at 17 um you know i don't i don't think stingley's going to be on the board by then anyway but if you're just kind of talking about like I just think the upside of those two guys in Gardner and Stingley is much higher. If you do want to bet on an injury like Stingley's uh, or just kind of make a bet on his health more so than betting on, on Booth's upside. I don't know. Yeah. It'll definitely depend on what we'll say the chargers, what the chargers doctors all see, because they also mm-hmm. knew different injury and different situation, but they knew that Rashawn Slater had a back issue and that they had to monitor that. And they did rest him quite a bit during the off season to take care of that. Again, different things. Um, right. But it was something else that they did have to monitor. To me, it also just comes down to like, the only two touchdowns that um, Booth allowed all year were against NC State. And both the cor- the receivers that he was facing 
or like six one, six two, kind of bigger build sort of guys. There was that one back shoulder throw that I think was just kind of impossible, but you could tell like not quite big enough to get there. And then on a slant in the end zone against another bigger guy who was able to just reach further, be bigger, box him out. There's a helicopter if you can hear it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I hope I don't, I don't know if size bugs them too much with Booth, but I do think it's still. I would rather look for someone like a Martin Emerson later on. Not that I think he's better. I just would love to switch it up just a tiny bit in the DB room. Yeah. And for all we talk about injuries, I mean, this is a team that drafted Derwin James uh, anyway, right? <laughs> so, like, if they if they think the value is there, they might throw the medicals out the window and just go, this is too much for us to pass up on. Not saying Andrew Booth is Derwin James, but you could certainly apply that to, to Derek Stingley and some of the other guys in this class for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, Martin Emerson again, so we'll wrap this up, this conversation up. Uh, mentioning some day three guys that we really like for this team. Um, you, we both talked about Emerson Alante Taylor really is kind of my mm-hmm. number one choice. Like I mentioned the box that are, are being checked there. Um, did not get a chance to watch any, either of the two smaller school guys that people talk a lot about Zion McCollum and Josh Williams. Uh, obviously we had Josh Williams on the show early on in the process. So he's a really good dude. And I think his film against the, at the senior bowl was really fantastic. Uh, but in terms of game tape, have not watched it, do not have access to that. So those two players definitely deserve mention. I do think that Kobe Bryant, we mentioned him, athletically doesn't check like all the boxes. But I think if the Chargers are really looking for a pro-ready option, I think Kobe Bryant really is kind of the best option there. Um, again, probably available on day three, not going to be a super high draft pick. Uh, I think his ARIA scores in like the sixes. So it's not like a disaster. But, you know, when you're looking at, we didn't talk about him, but Tariq Rulin and his, you know, 9.9 RES score versus Kobe Bryant, things like that. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen NFL teams generally tend to take the athletic upside over a guy like Kobe Bryant. But I think his film is really good. I think he has a mentality that fits what the Chargers want to do at that position. And of course, you know, his name is uh, Kobe Bryant. So he's somebody that I would really like along with Al- Alante Taylor. Um, okay, so Tariq Woolen, a fantastic RES score. Let me give you one that's going to be as far as possible from that. Um, a guy that, listen, they took Mark Webb last year with not a not-so-great RES score. Hell, they even took Larry Roundtree with a not-so-great RES score. You know, you don't need to have a good RES score. Also, uh, Darion Kendrick from Georgia has an RES score of 1.54, uh, <laughs> which is not great. No. I honestly do believe that he does look faster on he film does, than yeah. his RES score. Um this is a guy who's probably like, this is like your day three dart throw. I'm not saying this is even a fantastic fit, but given the Georgia connection, it is worth bringing him up. He does make somewhat of a living reading his, reading the quarterback, you know, understanding route concepts. Um, I think him being able to emphasize doing this you know, will be good for him. Uh, I think he read it. Uh, was it Kentucky almost for a pick six there? I think he has more long speed than his RS score indicates. He is battle tested, you know, it, it, playing a Georgia I think there's a little bit more burst play downhill. So I think there's definitely something there. Uh, but yeah, he runs a 4.8. So <laughs> this is your dart, day three dart throw, but I want to talk about it. He, he ran slower than his 360-pound defensive tackle <laughs> teammate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not great. But he's from Georgia, so I got to bring it up. Yeah, I, I will say the one thing I'll mention about Darion Kendrick, I don't know if he'll be on the Chargers board because he did get dismissed by Clemson because of gun charges. Uh, so yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, Jesse ta- Jackson robbed somebody, right? <laughs> 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 I 
I'm just saying, gun charges, bike thieving, I don't know. We've had it all with this, you know, draft class by this point. But um, I could see oh, Tom Telesco probably not wanting to go down that rabbit hole. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. The Tariq Wallen stuff, man. Uh, Let's talk about that. <laughs> the film and he's, the he's athleticism terrible. could like, not he's, be he's really bad. <laughs> no, and I think he did um, improve. Like, the senior bowl tape was okay. Like, it wasn't awful. So, I think there is room for improvement, obviously. But, you know, we've seen him go, like, high 30s in some TDN right. mock drafts and yeah. things like that. And I'm like, okay, I totally understand. Like, third round pick, whatever. His RES score is is worth that kind of dart throw. But, man, like, he's he's gone full swing the other way. And now he's going, you know, high 30s and you know, low forties. And I'm just like, Oh man, I, I, I can't get that. Cause I, I think from a holistic view, right? Like you're ideally getting two starters, like immediate starters in the first two rounds. Like mm-hmm. imagine Tariq Wollin starting right away for this team. Like I'm, I'm not saying for the Chargers specifically, but imagine taking Tariq Wollin and be like, okay, we got to start this guy right away. Yeah, no, that's a hard pass for me. <laughs> it was just like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe where he was ranked and the mock draft and the RAS. Like, okay, here we go. Like, okay, give me Darion Kendrick, please, with a 1.74 and his <laughs> gun charges. Like, that's that sounds better to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah, there's just such a difference between the RAS score and the film. Like, it's probably the biggest that we've seen in this class in terms of the guys we're looking at. Um, I, I could totally buy him as, like, you pick him in round five, you pick him in round six and you bet him on the upside, but you're going to have to take him in probably late round two, round three. Like that's what it sounds like. He's going to go right now. And for me, what the, you know, with what the chargers are going to invest or want to invest at the cornerback position in this draft, I just think that's too much to give up for someone like Tariq Willen, who I think is ultimately more developmental and they already traded their second round pick anyway. <laughs> right. So like, yeah. I just don't think you can, you know, put a third round pick on Tariq Woolen and then like bet on that. I, I think that's a lot. Did anyone yeah. get a chance to watch Cam Taylor Britt versus Oklahoma? No. Oh. Tell me about it. Okay. I'll tell you about it. So <laughs> this is the roughest game I've ever seen a corner or any player ever go through for the starters. He has to deal with Marquise Hayes. So there are several times where Marquise Hayes is, and all, all the blockers and the tight end blockers and wide receiver blockers are just doing their jobs and blocking him out of place. That's not fun. Then for some reason, the entire Oklahoma offense, the receivers in particular, wanted to fight this guy. There are six, seven, eight <laughs> plays where they are shoving him. There's one point where he's there's like a wide receiver screen that they don't go to. So there's just two wide receivers standing there, and they're both shoving him. There are wide receivers in the slot who are blocking him 20 yards down the field and dumping him in the dirt. There's for no reason another wide receiver just hits him in the end zone. Awful. Later in the game, he, they, they, I think Nebraska had like, or Oklahoma had three points and he bites on play action and a touchdown goes right by him. Like, oh, that sucks. He finally has a chance to make a play on the football after getting abused all game, missing tackles, getting blocked, giving up the touchdown play action. He finally has a chance to make a play on the football. He guns it way too early for the wide receiver. He runs in the wide receiver before the ball even gets there and knocks himself out of the game. And that's how the game ends for him. It was one of the most <laughs> awful experiences I've ever seen a DB go through in my life. Jeez. Yeah, I um, I thought I would have liked him there. I've seen several clips on Twitter of him making plays against the run and, you know, being that feisty, you know, slot corner that I think definitely has value in today's league. But 
after you showed those clips of him against Oklahoma, I was like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was bad. This poor man went through it and then knocked himself out of the game. Like he's just on the floor at the end of the game. That's brutal. <laughs> That's brutal. Hope he's good though. Yeah. <laughs> come on the podcast anytime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you get drafted, come on, please. <laughs> All right. So man, we did it, you guys. We got to our final positional ranking. It's all wrapped up. Uh, can't wait to not watch film anymore. I'm so burnt out from watching college tape. Um, but yeah, this process has been crazy. I think it's been uh, really fun to see how kind of the Chargers plans are, are seemingly unfolding. So uh, we are going to do our next mock draft episode on Monday, next Monday. And then we'll, you know, it's all downhill at this point in terms of uh, covering the draft. So Really excited about this. Really excited about the cornerbacks that we we did talk about. Um, Tyler, any final thoughts before we head out this evening? I'm so excited for them to drop Trevor Penning at 17. Oh God! <laughs> really excited. Hey, you have the you have the first pick on Monday, I think. So don't screw it up. Oh, I won't screw it up. I I'll I'll make sure it's a home run. Oh, it's definitely Chris Olave. <laughs> <laughs> or Garrett Wilson or, or Jameson Williams yeah. or Ariza. Yeah, it could be any one of those guys. Matt Ariza. <laughs> <laughs> we were so close to like being done with that man, and then oh, they had to work him out privately. My gosh, so annoying. just shit post and go Desmond Ritter for backup competition. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, really excited about the the next few weeks. Make sure. Uh, you are subscribed to the channel and the podcast audio platforms as well. Uh, leave us a rating or review. If you're done watching this, please like the video, leave us a comment and let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, we'll be going live on Saturday as well for a Q and a, uh, which I think will be, might be our last Q and a before the draft. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, and yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate all the support. Today was a fun chat. Um, and uh, yeah, bolt up. We'll see you guys next time. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.